Does everybody have a handout today? Yeah? Perfect. Our study today is entitled Donkey. Donkey. Do you see the picture on the front there? You know who that guy is? Donkey. Why are we studying about donkeys? You know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, we think that donkeys are stubborn, you know. However, there's so much mention of donkeys throughout scripture. And maybe we just kind of breeze right over it and not really pay attention to how important and vital donkeys actually are in the whole story of the Bible. What does it represent? Why is this important? Why are we talking about donkeys? How many of you have ever ridden a donkey? A few of you? Yeah? Maybe you've ridden a horse? Yeah? What do you prefer, horse or donkey? Horse. Horse! Why? Why? Why do you like the horse? Smoother ride. Smoother ride? Oh, really? Faster? I don't know. You know, horses, they're wider. You have to spread your legs wider, you get more sore after riding them. Donkey, you can just sit and, hey guys, what's going on? You wave. On a horse, I'm afraid it might fall off. <laughs> Donkeys, they're lower to the ground. You know, so if you fall off the donkey, you might not get as hurt. I don't know. But we are going to be talking about a few people that rode donkeys in the Bible. And the first story that we're looking at is about a guy named Absalom. Now, Absalom was the uh, rebellious son of King David. Okay, King David had a bunch of kids. And here is Absalom, and he tried to overthrow King David, and he failed. And after trying to overthrow his father, right, and I guess he wanted to take over the kingdom or something, he decided to flee the battlefield, and as he was fleeing, he actually sat and rode on a donkey. Now you're thinking, if this guy really wanted to get far and wanted to get there quick, he probably would have gone on a horse, right? If this guy was escaping the battlefields, remember, horses are, are like war animals. But the donkey, you would think he probably had a lot more horses available to him. Why did he try to sneak away on a donkey? quieter, slower, easier to hide, maybe. I don't know. But the Bible tells us that Absalom chose to ride on a donkey. Okay, and here we are reading in 2 Samuel chapter 18. We're not going to read the whole passage. You could study that on your own, but we are going to focus on one verse here. Verse 9. Now Absalom happened to meet David's man. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging midair while the mule kept riding on. Now look at that. This is like a whole story packed into one verse. And we're going to dissect this one verse, this little story here about Absalom. So we know he's a rebellious kid. He's trying, he tried to overthrow his dad. His dad was sending people out to look for him. But he said, don't harm him. Don't harm Absalom. Okay, he loved his son, no matter how rebellious he was. And uh, the nephew, okay, was one of the guys in charge of about a third of the army, of King David's army. And they found, can you go back to that first slide? And they found Absalom caught 
in the trees. So here's a donkey, Absalom's riding, and maybe he couldn't quite steer the donkey well enough because the donkey wasn't paying attention, brought him right into a tree, and the branches got Absalom's head stuck there. Who likes long hair? Poor Absalom, he probably had long hair. That's why he got tangled up in the tree. But then it says that the donkey continued walking away. Okay? He left Absalom hanging there, hanging in a tree by his head. And you think, this is kind of weird. How does this happen? Was this literal? Did it actually happen this way? Maybe it did happen this way. Whether or not it's literal or figurative, there is an important truth that we need to draw out of Scripture reading this passage. Okay? So what we see here, we have... <laughs> He's riding his mule, and he gets thick, gets under the thick of the branches of a large oak, okay? Trees represent so much. At the beginning of the Bible, it starts with a tree. A tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And there's something about trees in the Bible, and what this represents is knowledge. Trees represent knowledge. You know that verse we keep talking about? I want to be like a tree planted by the water, right? And we're trusting in the Father to, to grow us and give us what we need as we stay by the water, right? So we're gaining all that wisdom, all that knowledge as we stay close to God. That's what trees represent. And the first tree we hear about is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And the Bible also ends with a tree, okay? The tree of life in Revelation. So trees are vitally important throughout Scripture. But how did Absalom get caught in that tree? It was his head. You know, it must have been a big head or really lots of branches. But he was able to get stuck, hanging up there by his head. If you think about the head as part of your body, what do you think that represents? A source of knowledge as well, isn't it? That's where our head is. That's where we think. That's where our brain is, you know? And, um... We see these two things. We see the tree, and we see Absalom's head. And they come and meet together in this place. What is this telling us about Absalom here? In your head, you have decided to believe certain things, certain things to be true. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have decided somewhere in your, in your mind, you, you chose to believe. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is the true Lord. You know, and you, you've chosen to believe that, and it happens up here. Yeah, you can have an emotional response, but you still decide to believe what is true. So that's what goes on in our head. Absalom had his own set of beliefs that were in conflict with the knowledge that this oak tree represents. Are you following so far? It's pretty easy stuff. Let's go to the next slide. The tree is the source of knowledge. The head is a source of knowledge that we choose to live by. Okay? A source of knowledge that we choose to live by. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, so I live as though He is my Lord. Okay? I believe that I am a Canadian, so I live as a Canadian. 
Okay? I've chosen that in my head. I have that knowledge of what it is to be a Canadian. And then you have the oak tree. And why was the oak important? It talks about strength. This wasn't a weak tree. The oak is a very solid and strong tree. So all these different ideas working together, what does that help us understand? Absalom's beliefs were in conflict with the teachings represented by the tree. We see him hanging helpless without any base of support for his ideas. You see he was hanging there and the donkey walked away. So there was nothing to support his beliefs anymore. Okay? In Deuteronomy 21 and Galatians 3 it tells us, Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. A lot of the time we talk about Christ this way because he became sin on the cross for us. So all the curse of sin was on Jesus as he hung on the tree. Right? Do you remember Haman? Haman's another character in the Bible, in the story of Esther. And Haman, had to, he was a wicked man, and he ended up hanging on a post as well. Okay? And here we see Absalom hanging helplessly on a tree, cursed. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. So this oak tree is one that's typically associated with strength. The knowledge represented by this oak tree is greater and stronger than the knowledge we might pride ourselves in, in having. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, friends, this is a perfect picture, a visual, to go along with that passage. When we try to rely on our own understanding, even on biblical things, and we're, we're not trusting in what God has to say or allow God's Spirit to reveal these truths, we could read the Bible, try to interpret it for ourselves, but there's no base for the knowledge that we require if it's not from God. You following? So we could study our Bibles all we want, go to Bible study, but not allow God to reveal His truth to us. You can study just with your head, your own intellect, okay? And you're leaning on your own understanding of things. I've seen so many Christians conflicted with what they're reading in Scripture. It says in this passage one thing, it says in this passage another. And it's like the Bible's contradicting itself. No, only when you take it out of context, okay? But you're choosing to rely on your own understanding. You're kind of like Absalom, hung up by your hair, hanging in a tree, helpless, without any base for your belief. Okay? But the tree, the great oak, it's grounded. It's rooted. Alright? It's receiving all the elements from the earth that it needs to grow big and strong. You see, it's planted. Now we always talk about, as Christians, we ought to be planted and rooted somewhere. We can't be like tumbleweed going off in the wilderness. We need to be like a tree planted by the water so we could receive everything that God wants to pour over our life. Now, if it wasn't for that donkey bringing Absalom to that tree, Absalom probably would have had more success escaping without that donkey. <laughs> okay? And the things that we rely on sometimes, we might feel that they actually betray us the way that donkey seemed to betray Absalom. But the, beauty, the beautiful thing about this donkey, he led him to the great oak tree. He led him to the great knowledge. He led him to this greater wisdom beyond what Absalom could bear. That was the role of the donkey. Alright? 
thumbs up for Duncan. Right? If you, do you remember watching that show, Shrek, the movie? There's this big ogre, he's stubborn, he has his own way of living, he thinks there's nothing beyond this swamp that I could possibly want or imagine. So here this big ogre is, and along comes this talking donkey. Imagine a talking donkey <laughs> comes up to this ogre, and this talking donkey brings this ogre out of his world and exposes him to a greater truth than what he's experiencing right there in bed. I don't know who the creators were of Shrek, but they were pretty brilliant, hey? Because they used the donkey to bring a greater truth out. That's a biblical thing, then. Using a donkey to bring out a greater message or a greater truth. Enough about Absalom's donkey. Let's go talk a little bit more about um, trees or vines and branches. Let's look at John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are, you are already clean because of the world I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it sounds very repetitive, right? And we know that in Scripture, when anything is repeated and repeated like three times, you better pay very close attention, right? God wants to make sure that we are getting this message, okay? Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, okay? Can branches on their own produce any fruit? No, they need to be attached to the vine, okay? And the vine provides that branch with everything that's needed in order to push fruit out. And we know that that branch is good if it's bearing good fruit. Now, if you were the branches, i got to ask you, what is this good fruit that Jesus is talking about here? Okay, we talked about fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. What else? You know that verse that says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? And all these good deeds, you do them and people will come and praise your Father in heaven. So while the fruit of the Spirit is good, that helps our spirit live well. So, you know, the, the knowledge that we have of the Spirit, we live by that. We live by the way of God's Spirit. But that's only evidence in the good deeds that we do. That others will see the good deeds you do and praise your Father in heaven. So it's not enough to say, wow, I didn't respond the way that I used to respond, right? I mean, that's a good starting point. When someone cuts me off, I don't curse anymore, I don't get angry. It's like, I, I'm, I'm honestly, peace, you know, peace. And we think it's all just about the attitude that's within us. Yes, it's true, the Lord looks at the heart, right? He wants to see that change happening in us, 
where the fruit of the Spirit is starting to come up. You know those branches, before it bears the actual fruit, it's getting all the nutrients that it needs before that fruit is evident. But what really brings glory to God is when the fruit is evident in how we live, in the things we do, in word and deed. Are we careful of the words that are leaving our mouth? Are they declaring God or working against God? You know, we might not be doing bad things, but we might be saying bad things. And we can only say bad things if those things are stored up in our heart. So as the branch, as we are connected to the vine, we allow Jesus' spirit to work within us to flush out all that is bad so we don't become a bad branch. It's not us that's doing it. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. I think we miss that a lot. We always say, oh, I remain in Jesus, he remains in me. But what does it mean for Jesus to remain in us? Remember, Jesus is the word that became flesh. Okay? So Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, and the last time he repeats this whole thing, he says, and my words remain in you, fruit will come. And it's not for your own benefit, that's for the glory of the Father, you see. Are you allowing God's word to dwell richly within you and change you and mold you to be the person he's calling you to be? Or are you like Absalom? You have your own set of beliefs, your own thoughts. And you come into conflict with, with Christ's teachings. You don't agree with something that Christ says. So you're the stubborn one, not the donkey. The donkey didn't get tied up in the oak tree. It was Absalom. Alright? And the oak tree overpowers Absalom. Okay? Okay, I have a question. Yes. So if my words remain in you, for example, like if you want to survive, right? You have to eat. Mm -hmm. The same thing if you want to become spiritually alive, we have to partake of God's word, I think. Yes. Yes. We have to have God's word. We have to eat God's word every day. Be nourished by it. So that whatever comes of our life, yes, we know that that's from God. And it glorifies Him. Thank you. Let's look at the next donkey. You guys know Balaam? Here's a little bit about Balaam. His story is found in Numbers uh, chapters 22 to 24. And you can look that up on your own time, study through the story of Balaam and get the whole picture. But what we're going to study about Balaam today is simply him riding on his donkey. Okay? Every time we hear Balaam, I always used to think that was a donkey's name. <laughs> you know? But it's Balaam's donkey. Who is Balaam? He was a wicked, non-Israelite prophet living in Mesopotamia. He was sent by King Balak of Moab to curse the children of Israel as they camped on the lands of Moab on their way to Canaan. He wanted to weaken them with a curse. So Balaam was willing to do the king's bidding, but he had no power of his own to cast the curse. He would need to go to God and ask God for permission to cast this curse if it be his will. So Balaam actually goes to God and God says, nope, that is not what's going to happen. Okay, you are not going to curse my children. These are the chosen children. Okay, you will not curse them. Okay, 
And God tells Balaam, go ahead, you go travel on, and uh, you still go see these people, okay, but you will not curse. You will not curse the Israelites. Let's read the story in Numbers 22, verses 21 to 35. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went to the Moabite officials. But God was angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road, with a sword drawn in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards, with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with a staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made, me, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you, because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Interesting story, eh? How many times? Three times the donkey turned away or saved Balaam's life in a way. Three times. There's that number three again. It's interesting as you read through the passage. First, he's on this open road, right? So it's a wider path. And the donkey sees the angel on the road and decides, okay, detour. And he goes out into the field, okay? He gets back on the path. And he notices, oh no, there's that angel with the sword again, right? So the donkey's walking, he sees the angel, and he starts to, uh, there's two walls of the vineyard here. And there's enough path, if I'm the donkey, I could imagine he wanted to get away from that angel. So he starts to do that forward, reverse. Three-point turn. And while he's doing the three-point turn, he crushes Balaam's foot up against the wall of the vineyard. Okay? And then the third time we notice that that path that the donkey's traveling on is very narrow. And it's only on that path the donkey has nowhere to go. Can't go left and right, no three-point turn. He's just facing, and right there is this angel with the sword. He can't go left and right. And it's only at this moment, after Balaam starts beating his donkey, it reminds us a little bit of Moses. When he was in the wilderness, he was getting frustrated, and he hit a rock, and out of the rock came life-giving water. 
After Balaam had been hitting this donkey, whipping it, and the donkey turns, and words come out of the donkey's mouth. Not just on Shrek. This is in the Bible, talking donkey. Okay, and the donkey says, Why are you beating me? I imagine that's what he sounds like. <laughs> Why are you beating me? These three times. Balaam, probably losing his mind, he's frustrated, you know? He starts to argue with a talking donkey. He's, he's answering back and forth. Okay? And it's just interesting that this whole time, Balaam does not see this angel standing in the road, but the donkey does. And the angel says, listen, if that donkey didn't steer away, that donkey saved your life three times. What was Balaam riding on? The back of the donkey. That's what was supporting him. You don't see him getting caught in a, in a tree like Absalom with his head stuck there. So this donkey is bringing Balaam to this place where he can see the spiritual things that he didn't see before. Interesting, eh? First we see Absalom's donkey bringing him to the tree so he would be faced with the great strength and knowledge of the oak tree. Here we see Balaam and his donkey, and he's being led, although there were many detours. Finally, his eyes are opened and he is able to see the angel that's standing in front of him. Once his eyes are open, then the angel starts to ask the same questions that the donkey was. Why are you beating your donkey? Why are you beating your donkey? And he could start having this conversation. Now, how many of you could kind of relate to Balaam in some way? You're traveling your course of life. You start to hit different uh, challenges. And you feel like you want to give up. Or you feel like you need to keep pressing forward, but something is stopping you from going where you feel you need to go. It's like, has God ever given you a detour and shown up in your life in an unexpected way and you might not have known that he was doing that? You know? In the struggle, God is there. Remember that? No matter your challenge, God is there. The question is, do you see him standing right there in front of you? Do you have the spiritual eyes to see the spiritual things of God? Sometimes you might not be able to see it, but thank heavens that Balaam had the company of a donkey. Sometimes there might be someone that we don't think much of. We might think ourselves better than them. But who knows, the Lord could use anybody. He used the donkey to help save Balaam and get Balaam acting in the course that the way God wanted him to act. Right? Interesting. There's some symbolism here. Okay. That's the story. Let's go look at the, the first symbol here. There's feet. You read about Balaam's foot getting crushed against the wall. Why was that detail important? Okay. Could have been any other part of him, but it was specifically his foot. In the Bible, feet represent a very important thing. We see Mary. You know, Martha and Mary, Mary would sit at the feet of Jesus to learn, to listen to his stories, to spend time with him at the feet of Jesus. That's where we learn, okay? 
Jesus washed his disciples' feet before they took the bread and the wine at that dinner, okay? He washed their feet first to cleanse them before they received the life-giving bread and water. You see, feet are important. Remember Moses, when he faced the burning bush, God was talking to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And as Moses approached that bush, he was instructed to remove his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. Why is this important? Remember in Genesis, there was a serpent who lost the use of its feet after it deceived um, Adam and Eve. Right? A curse came upon him and he lost the use of his feet. He would be caused to... Um, what's the word? Slither. Crawl and slither amongst the ground and not gain anything through the feet. Okay? Eve was told that her descendant would try to crush the head of the snake and the snake would try to bite its heel. There's that foot again, right from the beginning of Scripture. So feet represent the way by which holiness passes into our bodies through the school of the earth. Moses standing there on holy ground, receiving the knowledge of that earth coming to him, right? When we stand on God's word, we're receiving the word of God. Our holiness is through there. What do you stand on in your life? What do you build your life on? Is your life built on Christ? Are you standing on his word, on his truth? What platform are you living your life by? What are you standing on? You know, I was talking with my wife earlier today, and we were just talking about the increase in um, the evidence of mental... Sorry, what's the word? Mental disabilities or some sort of mental illnesses. And there's such a... Anxiety and depression is at a high, an all-time high. And we're wondering, why is this? You know? You see, there's so much going on in our life today, isn't there? We're being bombarded with news from like television, social feeds on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever else it is. We're being bombarded with all this stuff. The pace of life is just so quick, right? Now we're journeying through life, but it's like haphazard and crazy. Our feet are not staying the course. Our feet are going everywhere. We're being introduced to so many different things. Of course we're going to be feeling anxiety and stress and, and depression at these all-time highs or lows, right? Because our feet are not planted steadily on the Word of God anymore. It's taking our attention different places. Remember Balaam's donkey? It wasn't until that third time. He couldn't go left or right. He could not be distracted anymore. He was forced to face the angel, and then his eyes were opened. The enemy is trying so hard, my friends, to get you to turn left and right and have a detour in your journey to Christ. He doesn't want your feet to stay on the path, on the path of, path of righteousness. He wants your feet to go on a path of wrongness, okay? And while you're there, of course, you will feel out of balance and out of control because you're not standing on the path of righteousness anymore. Feet. Very important. It's how we receive the truths from God. Stonewall. 
So he's traveling down, and it says he's between these two vineyards. And the walls of the vineyards are creating this path. Do you know, the stone wall, we know that God wrote the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. Stone. And there's something permanent about stone. Something everlasting about stone. Then there's also the stumbling stone of the truth of Jesus. When people come across Jesus and they realize who he is, they fall flat before him as they stumble over the truth of who he is and they are forced to look at Jesus and declare, yes, you are, you are who you say you are. Jesus is that stumbling stone. But Jesus is also the cornerstone upon which his church is built. Okay? Upon which his family is built. We build our lives on Jesus because he is permanent. He is unchanging. And that's what stone represents. God's word never changes. You know that Jesus is the word that became flesh. But he's also the cornerstone. Stones represent God's word in the Bible. Stones are different from rock, okay? It's different from rock. Rock could be really jagged and really rough around the edges. And there's been this uh, beautiful picture of water that runs over rock and smooths out that rock until it comes to a nice beautiful form of a precious stone. These stones that they're talking about are like these small stones. Beautiful, refined, washed by water, cleansed of all of its rough edges, okay? When, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he chiseled the Ten Commandments out, right? And like, it was beautifully formed, those stone tablets, and they were perfect. Are you being made perfect by the Word of God being present in your life? Are you like a living stone? that God is cleansing and working around and washing you over to take away all the rough edges, to create a precious stone, to be added to his church, added to his body, the temple, the temple of Christ. Next one. It says that he was riding between two vineyards. Now, vineyard in the Bible has been meant to represent um, religious schools, okay? You go to the vineyard to learn. You go to the vineyard to be fed. And you, you learn this. So the religious schools have been called vineyards for the way of beliefs and doctrine. To nourishment through the vine to bring forth fruit from its branches. Remember, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's saying, learn from me. <laughs> there he, is. he says, learn from me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You are part of the vineyard. And as we are here, we learn God's truths, okay? As we receive nourishment through feeding on his word. Is this cool? You guys hanging in so far? Cool. So Balaam's crushed foot on the stone wall of the vineyard. It suggests that the donkey was attempting to bring his attention to God's way. And so he might become aware of the presence of the messenger angel. Okay? So Balaam's donkey was like, he was like an evangelist. You know? He's a guy witnessing and saying, listen, God is here. Open your eyes and see him. Okay? So the donkey was used as a messenger pointing toward the angel's message. 
Okay? Can you identify with wicked Balaam's internal conflict in regards to following the will of men or the will of God? What donkey experience did God use to help you hear him and acknowledge his presence in your life? Remember, it's not the donkey that's stubborn. It's us. Isn't that sad? I'd rather be a donkey. Otherwise, you're the stubborn ass. Right? The Bible says the donkey is, is that. Okay? I'd rather be an obedient, cautious donkey rather than a stubborn one. Yeah? This brings us to Jesus' donkey. We're going to be looking at this account found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. You can find it in these other passages as well. But you will notice as you read through it in your own study that there seem to be variances in the way that the story is told. It almost seems to contradict itself because it's telling the story a little bit differently. And we'll, we'll get into that. Okay, so Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king has come... Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, and on a colt, the foal of the donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Have you heard this story before? Probably closer to Easter, right? On Palm Sunday. And um, shouting hosannas as Jesus parades into the city, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey. Now, if we look closely at the story, okay, Jesus sends Jesus sends how many disciples? Two disciples to go pick up how many animals? Two animals. You have the donkey, and you have her baby colt, the younger, the youth. Donkey, the colt. Okay? So you have a mother donkey and you have the youth donkey. Okay? And they're tied up, and um, Jesus says, Go, bring them, bring them to me. Why did Jesus ask for these two donkeys? And Jesus instructs them, Listen, if anybody says to you, What do you need the donkeys for? Just tell them, We need it for the Lord. Sure enough, people would have understood. There was a prophecy that needed to be fulfilled. This prophecy we read, daughter Zion, here comes your king riding on a donkey, and that's found in Zechariah 9, verse 9. 
The Messiah would be riding in on a donkey. Here comes your king. So Jesus, he's establishing his kingdom as he's entering into the city, riding on the donkey, but not the mother donkey. He got on the younger donkey. If you read through in um, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, it talks that they don't mention the other donkey, they just mention the colt. Okay, the younger donkey. But it would be understood, listen, that young donkey won't go anywhere if its mother wasn't there as well. The donkey would be out of control just looking for it. The colt would be out of control looking for mother donkey. So Jesus knew, okay, let's take the mother donkey along with the colt as I ride into town on the colt. Two donkeys. We already established donkeys. Um, they bring forth a message, right? The mother donkey would have represented the old covenant. The old covenant. And this younger donkey, the colt, represents the new covenant. And here, bound together, Jesus is at the center of these two. Some people think that the old covenant and the new covenant conflict with one another. That is far from the truth. They have everything to do with one another. We cannot appreciate and know the new covenant if we don't know what the old covenant was all about. And both covenants point where? To Jesus. And we don't see Jesus walking beside the donkeys. We see him where? On top of the donkey. Okay? Jesus is establishing his kingdom, saying, I am Lord of these covenants. Okay? Everything that you thought you knew before, well, you know what? New things are coming as well, but I'm the one that's making the change. Jesus has a message, and he wants everybody to know it. That's why he gets on a donkey. Okay? Because from, as the donkey comes, eyes are opened. And people can see the spiritual truths that God wants people to see. We know this from the story of Balaam, the story of Absalom. And now here, Jesus bringing the greatest message that the world would ever have to hear. And he's got not just one, two donkeys. Okay? This is a big message. So let's break this down a little bit. What is the significance of two in the Bible? Okay. The number two in the Bible stands for unity and conflict. Unity and conflict. One of the best pictures to look at would be the picture of marriage. There's two people, right? Lots of conflict, right? But they are bound together as one flesh, united as one. Okay? So there's that unity and conflict. We notice Balaam he was also traveling with two young servants. Not soldiers, but servants. Okay? Soldiers have to do with war. Soldiers are like messengers. Soldiers have a duty, but these servants, there were two. How many vineyards were there that he was passing through? Two. And what did we see Balaam struggle with? That internal conflict. Paul writes about this internal conflict very well in the New Testament, right? And he talks about, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do, and, you know, there's this war that happens inside him. 
We all struggle with this internal conflict, my friends. Okay? That number two is important. But what we need to realize is, if we keep ourselves separated from God, we will always be in constant conflict. Constant conflict. But if we learn how to be united in Christ, we become the body of Christ along with Him. There's union. There's unity. There might still be conflict in the body, but there's still unity. Okay? Another important thing is, when there are two, there's a witness. You ever try and go somewhere and you're the only one that saw what happened? And people don't believe you? It helps to have that other person as a witness. You know, when you go and confront somebody, right, that did something against you and you need to reconcile, they say, take somebody else with you so that there's a witness if anything happens in that conflict, okay? Um, that's, I also believe that's why Jesus sent out his, his disciples two by two, when they ministered two by two. You still see this today. You see people walking, handing out tracts. There's two of them, all right? It's not good for us to be alone, Right? And when two people come together in agreement, there is unity. Okay? I just thought that was cool. Right. We also see Absalom's head caught in the tree, and both things are sources of knowledge, but they are two conflicting things. Okay? While Absalom was hanging in that tree, spoiler alert, okay? He got stabbed, pummeled with three javelins. Okay? Right through it, and he died hanging in that tree. Okay? It's interesting about um, Absalom, just a side note. He typifies an antichrist. He was a type of antichrist. He had a message that wasn't the true message. We know that because his head was stuck in the tree. And while he hung there on the tree, he was cursed. Because cursed is the one who hangs on the tree. Alright? It points, all these things, they correlate with Christ. And while he hung up on the tree, he was pierced. Just like Jesus was pierced. But he was not the Messiah. Right? Absalom represents many things evil and wicked to overthrow the king. When we make gods of ourselves, we overthrow Christ from the throne of our heart. Okay? When you live for your own selfish gain and pleasure, that is you throwing Christ off the throne of your heart and replacing it with yourself. Okay, that is pride. And my friends, the warning is, destruction comes right after that pride. If you see yourself seated on that throne, tell yourself, sorry, the seat's reserved. The seat is for Christ. Okay? And allow only Him to, to remain in you. Okay? What else do we see in the story? Jesus riding his donkey. Garments and clothes. Garments and clothes. These weren't just any garments and clothes, right? Today we put on a sweater, a jacket, a pants. The word for garment here is talent, or the prayer shawl. Okay? What's significant about this prayer shawl is it's a seamless garment with four corners, with a tassel attached to each corner. This reminds the Jewish people of all of God's commands. And on its collar of this prayer shawl are the Hebrew letters that spell Lord of Lords and King of Kings. How significant is this? 
as Jesus is coming into town on a donkey, they take off their prayer shawls and lay it on the ground, and Jesus walks over it. It was a common practice to, for a king to enter into his kingdom on beautiful garments displayed. But the fact that these garments were the talent, the prayer shawls. These people are acknowledging. They know who Jesus is. He is fulfilling the prophecy. The king comes in and rides in on a donkey. So we say, you are Lord of Lords. You are King of Kings. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, we praise you. They are acknowledging him as the king. They understood what it meant. The palm branches that they cut from the trees. Palm branches, they're an emblem for joy and victory. Okay? They also are a symbol for peace. So when the kings would come back after the war has been fought, and they're coming home, joy and victory, waving palm branches, and also a symbol of peace. No more war right now. Okay? So when Jesus is coming, wow, joy and victory, and the peace that's going to come. So all this is happening while he's riding on the donkey. So the message of this donkey that he's going to bring out is, Jesus is the Lord of Lords, he is the King of Kings. It's bringing up, Jesus is going to bring peace between you and him. Because that conflict that we have with him, you know what? We're going to be unified. There's going to be unity. Alright? Isn't this a beautiful story? All because it was a donkey. <laughs> donkey messengers. Donkey messengers. So we have King Solomon. You know King Solomon? He's the son of David. Okay? So you have King Solomon, the son of David. He rode into the city on the back of a donkey, which implies that the donkey represents a, man, a means by which enlightenment shall reach people. We know King Solomon to be the man of wisdom. Right? He prayed and asked God for wisdom. And the wisdom of God came through Solomon as he dealt and ruled over the people. Okay? And then you have Jesus was the humble son of David, right? Remember, Jesus comes from the house of David, and he rode into the city on the young donkey. The mother donkey represents the old covenant, and her young colt represents the new covenant. Both are tied together, and Jesus establishes his kingdom by announcing the message for all people with the new covenant. The donkey represents the medium by which messages from God will arrive. The medium by which God's messages will arrive. There's one more place in the Bible I think is very important to point out. Probably one of the most important places that a donkey is mentioned in the Bible. Can you think of it? It's one that we all know very well, but probably overlook very quickly. Have you heard of a little thing called the Ten Commandments? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Where does it show up? All the way there in the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's donkey. Alright? Or his wife. This has something to do with seeking knowledge or wisdom from God. 
not coveting the wife. The wife is a symbol for a spiritual medium, okay? So we do not seek messages from false prophets or other spiritual mediums, okay? So it's a lot more than, oh, you know, we always teach it. Don't look at your neighbor and want what they have, you know? This is talking about so much more. The world can teach so many different things and promise you things spiritually that will leave you feeling fulfilled or at peace with yourself. But friends, these are false teachings if they don't align with God's truth. Okay? Do not go looking and coveting for what the world has because it looks good right now. Okay? Don't go seeking after your neighbor's wife that other spiritual medium that might bring something more satisfying to your life. This is a huge commandment. The first one was love the Lord your God, right? With all that you are. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. And then at the end, he's putting all those commandments all together and he says, listen, don't look at anything else. Keep looking at me. It's the same message that he had on those stone tablets. Okay? Donkey messengers. There's another mention of donkey in the Bible. Samson. Well, it wasn't a, he wasn't riding a donkey. But he defeated a thousand Philistines using what? The jawbone of a donkey. Okay? Samson, we know him as probably that big muscular guy. Right? I could break people. But it's interesting that he's using the jawbone of a donkey. Could it simply be the favor of the Lord being on Samson, the favor of the Lord and the wisdom of God flowing through Samson was greater and mightier than the teachings of the, the false teachings of the Philistines. The jawbone, bringing out that word of God, destroys all other false teachings. Interesting. It's more than just a story now, because the symbols are huge. They point us to show what God has been trying to say. Listen, Philistines, your false doctrines wiped away by the jawbone, the mouthpiece of the donkey. Wow. God's word is great and powerful, and it will ruin anything that is opposed to it. It's a constant message throughout Scripture. My friends, if God wants to use me as a donkey today to help your spiritual eyes be open to the reality that He is right here with you today. And you don't need to second-guess that anymore. And He has good things for you. He's brought peace already. We carry the gospel of Jesus Christ along with us. The gospel of peace. We use our feet and wherever our feet go, that gospel goes. Are you going to allow God to use you like a donkey to bring forward his message for the world to know him more? This is what Jesus entrusted to us. Go and make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you. Remain in me and my words remain in you. Ask anything and it will be done for you. And Father God will be glorified by the fruit that's coming out of your life. I don't you know what? I don't like going to my little garden at home and seeing there's no flowers, there's no fruit. I've been watering this thing forever and it just looks like a bunch of dead branches sometimes. 
you know, my garden, oh, come on, fruit. And I'm waiting, maybe, maybe next year you'll grow some fruit. But there's nothing special about that plant if the fruit isn't there. Are you feeling like a Christian sometimes, that, that's a plant, that you just don't see the fruit? You know? Friends, hang in there and stay connected to Jesus. Right? It's not what you're doing in your life. It's what Jesus wants to do through your life. He wants to cleanse you and allow you to receive all the goodness and nourishment that his word can bring you. Through his spirit working in your life, friends, the fruit will come. Just stay connected. And in that waiting, while we're still waiting for more and more fruit to come, remember that fruit doesn't glorify you as a good branch. It just glorifies all of that good that you've received from the vine. Yeah? Oh, don't be a dead branch. Don't be a dead branch. God has a special purpose for your life, and I believe He's doing something great and wonderful in you, even if you don't believe it yourself yet. If you're not believing that, you might just be stubborn like Balaam. Okay? And I really hope that you don't remain stubborn to the point that you're like Absalom, hanging helplessly in a tree. Okay? If anything, friends, I hope that the Word of God would sit on our backs as we tarry through this world and bringing His message of peace to the far reaches, friends. This is my prayer for us, for all of us, that we would be united and not in conflict with God any longer. And together we could journey with Him into all eternity. This is my prayer.